Welcome to Dwight and Shining Armor, The Sunken Kingdom, the behind-the-scenes podcast about everything Dwight. I'm Josh Breslow, and I play Yakopa. Today, we're recording at the Comedy Store in Hollywood, and we're talking about Season 1, Episode 4, Lotions and Potions, written by Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, directed by James Larkin, guest-starring Evan Hofer and Danielle Pizzuti. As always, we have a blanket spoiler alert. So if you haven't watched episode four yet, stop whatever you're doing. Set your stew to simmer and watch <laughs> lotions and potions either on BYU TV or at BYUtv.com slash Dwight. First, a quick recap. Hexalo the Witch, played by Danielle Bizzuti, comes out of the woods and hexes the princess with a bouquet of enchanted flowers. Baldrick stops to smell the roses, falling under Hexala's paralyzing spell as well, leaving Dwight to find Greta on his own. Luckily, Claudwig, played by Evan Hofer, offers his help, and after hoisting Baldrick into a wheelbarrow, the three set out to rescue the princess before Hexla takes one of Greta's bones. Mm. Now that everyone's been brought up to date, let's get to our guests. Our creators and showrunners, Leanne H. Adams and Brian J. Adams, are here with us. Hello, Josh. Hey. Ow, ow! <laughs> it's good to be back. <laughs> and for the first time, we have both Evan Hofer, a.k.a. Claudwig the Unstable. That's Prince Claude with the Unstable. My apologies, Prince Claude with the the Unstable. And BAFTA nominated, Danielle Bazzuti. I appreciate the preface. Thank you so much. BAFTA nominated. (laughs) What does it feel like? How has your life changed? I know. We have to to talk about all of that. We're all genuflecting in her direction, for those of you at home. And Danielle is introduced in this episode uh, for the first time as Hexla the Witch. Indeed. Way to go. And, and yeah. the show will never be the same. That's never. right. That's right. We haven't really talked about cold opens yet. Uh, and this episode has such a strong one. You know, we start with this, let's say. My amazing shoes. Your amazing shoes. And that, shoes. let's talk about that walk, that little <laughs> shuffle. Okay. Yeah. That's how she walks all the time. <laughs> so we start with that. We get we get a few different uh, beats that really tell us kind of everything we need to know about Hexel. Actually, that first moment is one of my favorites where she's looking at the shoes clearly drawn to pretty things and then sees her own reflection and is <laughs> so appalled Completely and you just upset. go, yeah. oh, okay, that's who this is. So we, we go from that, we go to uh, seeing her cast a little bit of a spell and then we see her trying to conquer an escalator and we go, with these three elements, we go, okay, we know what she likes, yeah. we know what this world is like to her and we know what her skills mm-hmm. are. So to me, I was like, you guys nailed everything about her in three quick beats. Can I give a little shout out to our production designer, uh, yeah. Cody Bush? As as we were planning this episode, the escalator idea, uh, the you know the beginning and the end was his idea. And when he pitched that to us, I was like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. The other two we we had in there, but when he pitched, the, we were actually location scouting, and he's like, oh my gosh, how about this? And I was like, wow, you nailed it. Well, it gave a really great way to show her transformation in the episode. That that escalator is so bizarre and terrifying to her in the beginning yeah. and then by the end she's got she's it she's nailed it and yeah. so we get to show her adaptability in a lot of different ways but specifically with the escalator that was one of my favorite moments that escalator um, just the physical comedy aspect of it you know she's fearless but this is terrifying her because it's a whole new world and so they really let me go for it with <laughs> the foot up on the other end and yeah. trying to get it I have, a, I have a question that will potentially be completely cut out uh, but my question is, why did no one else age except Hexla? Well, Hexla was already that age when the champion oh, spell was no. cast. Oh, no. 
So everything was just put on pause yeah. when the champion sc- spell was cast. So she was it's, already. Uh, she was already cradle robbing oh, Baldrick. She, well, she's a she's an ancient creature. She's mm-hmm. an old soul. We don't know exactly how old, but let's say she has to be at least five hundred years older than the champion spell because she was there to witness when uh, the Tovenars fell. Right. And so she's at least that old. Yeah, exactly. And and she was on her way to get Greta uh, when the champion spell was mm-hmm. was cast. And and so uh, so that it was there was a pause button on her. Just to, to add on to that real quick, um, she's known Baldric. Baldric knows the young Hexala. So clearly, these magic spells that she puts on herself to maintain her youth they wear off. Yeah, they're not permanent. <laughs> um, and and so she has to continue taking the prime elixir in order to stay beautiful so it has worn off in the time that she had her fling in the past with Baldrick. so last time he saw her she was the beautiful Hexala and then that's why when he runs into her he's like oh I'm sorry excuse me ancient hag I mistook you for another <laughs> because he, there's no way this could be the Hexala he knew and this was pre-plastic surgery so <laughs> I had to go for that prime elixir take more of an ancient bones yeah it's just yeah. Ancient hag. Yeah. keep it I'm a, I'm a woman of tradition that's right um, so just to round that out, I, I do want to know when you guys take on a cold open, what is it you're trying to accomplish by the end of that? Well, in this one, um, this story, very much like Flip that we've talked about before, uh, is a story where our villain is the protagonist of the story. So you can look at at this episode really as almost like a short film. In fact, we structure our episodes like short films instead of like episodic TV since we don't have commercial breaks. It doesn't make sense to be structuring them around Hmm. breaks. So we structure them like mini movies. Um, And so this one is a mini movie about a witch who's trying to get a bone (laughs) so that she can be young again. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to give her a a really special introduction since she is, this is her story in this episode. Everyone else is functioning as an antagonist to her. Um, Also, we knew from from, uh, the inception of this idea years ago that Hexala, our witch, was going to live in our story a long time. So we wanted to give her a really strong introduction so that people would sense there's something very important about her, pay attention. Mm. She's going to be staying with us. But how did you go about, uh, Danielle, figuring out Hexla's physicality for this? Oh, God. You know, I, I mean, I, you, could chalk, you could chalk it up to like years of like theater and theater games and, and movies that I've seen. Like we were talking about The Princess Bride. It was just like on repeat and, all, you know, the, the old witch and Snow White and just watching it my whole life. And then, you know, uh, maybe the dancer in me a bit, um, probably the singer in me helping with the cadence of her voice and the timbre of her voice. And um, it came quickly. And actually, um, I purposely at that audition, like, waited to the very end and I was just going over the movements over and over again in the hallway and I was like let them see everybody else and then I'm just going to come in with something and it was it didn't feel bold outside of like I'm going to scare them with this but it, it was very I was very specific with what I had um, brought in and yeah so I, I mean it was just fun I mean it, it just to um, it just came kind of from inside out yeah Awesome. It worked. Thanks. They nailed it. It's, it's beautiful. It really is beautiful. Actually, you just brought up Snow White, and I wanted to ask about this. I feel like this episode has a few influences, and maybe some are just the musical theater nerd in me, and some are <laughs> actual. Snow White seems like a pretty clear reference mm-hmm. in mythology that you're messing with. Um, sure. Her needing a bone for an elixir, is that into the woodsy, or am I just on my, you know? Well, there's there's so much tradition of the witch needing 
things from people, parts of their bodies, either because she's a cannibal and she eats them, mm-hmm. or that the witch needs, even if you go to Macbeth and, and Shakespeare, the witch needs needs these these physical things in order to put in her brew to make what she needs to make. But but there's something in, in a lot of these old Norse and Germanic traditions about the witch wanting your body mm-hmm. for some evil purpose. Yeah. And, and so we played with that. We couldn't go too dark on it. Um, as dark as, you know, the Grimm brothers go. I was going to say Hansel and Gretel gets <laughs> oh, real they, dark. Yeah, it gets yeah. super dark. That witch wants to bake them and eat them. Yeah. Um, and so so there's there's that definitely exists in the mythology. But we thought we, we need to, to play with that, but put a kind of a light and, and comic spin on it. Also, you know, if you really think about what's happening in this episode, it's the stuff of nightmares. <laughs> and it's awful. Yes, this girl's it paralyzed and kidnapped and someone's going to chop her finger off. And it's really dark stuff. So we had to count balance that with a lot of levity, a lot of antics, a lot of crazy stuff going on. Interclawed wig. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so let's and talk. Baldrick, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And let, let's talk about that because uh, in this episode, uh, Baldrick gets paralyzed very quickly. And for the first time, I believe, in the series up till now, Dwight goes, okay, I'm going to do this. And he goes off on his own and thank God Claudwick shows up <laughs> yeah. right away. But before we get to the Claudwick moment, I feel like we're starting to see Dwight's arc toward um, heroism on a scale larger than diplomacy. Mm-hmm. Right. This this definitely is a big step mm-hmm. uh, in in that direction for Dwight, and, and obviously because Dwight is Dwight, and because it's a TV <laughs> show, not a movie, we we have to really you know tease that character out over hopefully many many seasons yes, and many, many years, years many <laughs> so lifetimes. We we can't we can't go too far because you know his his superpower is his you know powers of diplomacy and his powers of you know understanding and you know, those are his real superpowers but you're right this is a moment where he has to has to step up and you know literally go out his, on his own until you know Claudwick shows up and figure out how to actually you know deal with this situation in, in a physical way so it's definitely a, a big step in that direction and by, and by this time I mean it's only episode four but Dwight has seen a lot of stuff <laughs> yeah and he and he certainly uh, he certainly has been changed by that so although the arc will be will be slow he will continue to to Gain some new superpowers. Um, you would in, in in this situation, and he definitely is. And this, you're right, uh, and observant that this is a, a big step in that direction. Luckily, Claudwick shows up because Dwight is just I don't know wandering the streets, looking around. <laughs> and um, Claudwick, as soon as he finds out what's going on, he takes the search for the princess so seriously. And I want to talk about Claudwig's <laughs> intensity yeah. because I feel like Claudwig is always at a 10 because everything's important. And and we talked in a previous episode about everything's very urgent for Greta, eating, getting the next yeah. thing done. But Claudwig is a magnitude beyond that. I mean, he really is. He because, has intention. Yeah, yes, he does. Because he, it's the respond to search for Greta is as serious as responding to scratching Baldrick's nose. Right. It's as intense as release the princess or die, which is... He lives life with boy, passion. Which killed me. So where, where does that come from for Claudwig? Why is everything so intense for him? Well, I think... Brian and Leanne kind of touched on it earlier that he really does have a heart of gold. And so with that comes this just passion and intensity. So whatever he's doing, like you said, it's on a scale of 1 to 10, he's at a 15. You know what I mean? He's If he's doing it, he's doing it. He's not wasting any time. He's not messing around. 
He's going, he's like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it now. You want it done yesterday? Okay. <laughs> it feels fitting to the era too, right? Like 10th century medieval, like everything was do or die. Just it was, full bore. It right. was just, yeah. It was like, that's the era this man, like, that's what he comes from. So that's what he's adapted to. So now in the modern day, when we have like our Taco Bell drive through like it's like, it's like <laughs> the leisure things that we have, the comfort, creature comforts, yeah. like he doesn't know. He's yeah. still operating on like I don't do know, or die. I don't know why I can call Postmates and yeah. have them deliver something like food, fine. And I storm out into the woods. <laughs> the last burger you eat. That's why you eat it. So so Clodwig joins up. Um, The next moment we have is a technology moment, which we've had, I I think, only a bit in the pilot so far, and then it's back here. Do you, as the writer, see an equivalence between Baldrick's magic and then the 21st century technology and how when Baldrick's magic is kind of lacking, Dwight can pick up the slack there? Sure thing. A big part of the reason that we incapacitated Baldrick's magic mm-hmm. uh, was so Dwight could shine. And so we're going to, mm, we're going to see smart. all kinds of ways that, that Dwight's modern abilities uh, end up having a sort of magical effect. Um, his diplomacy feels like magic <laughs> to these medieval <laughs> characters. That phone that finds his friends feels like magic, but it's something that's very familiar to our day and age, but, um, but compared to what they've been used to feels like, like a superpower, like Brian was saying. So we look for ways to, to have um, these skills that feel um, common to uh, to modern young people, to show them as really the extraordinary skills that they are when you compare them to how most of us, most humans have lived. Uh, so we, we like to shine in, in that moment. Also, we, we are, we want to make sure that we're saying really positive things about the young, the young generation that's growing up now, um, instead of taking a, a negative view of, of their technology and our, of their way of communicating, their way of handling things to be really positive about it. Because I, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Gen Z. <laughs> I have two sons who are Gen Aww. Z and they're an incredible, incredible generation that I honestly think like they're going to save the world. And so I, we want to really be positive in, in the way we represent them. I think that shines through. I think it's really clear that the technology is presented as a wonderful, powerful thing. And it may, and while I'm watching it, I start to feel grateful for this stuff that I do take for granted. And I, and I think it really uh, puts he, a fine point. He's on also that. super um, cares for the environment in such a beautiful way. And yeah. like that really is in the hands of that generation. Right. For Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, he's the embodiment of every good thing about Gen Z, and there are so many good things about that generation. and And we've talked about this before that Dwight is really everything we hope for for our future. Uh, yeah, <laughs> tell me everything about shooting the wheelbarrow sequence. I want to oh. know how that was shot, how long that took, how that worked, everything. <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a story all about how I slipped and tripped and rolled upside down <laughs> and has a, a permanent scar to prove it do you yes, really i do yeah Aww. right right there so oh, shooting Wait, the get wheel- that a little closer to the microphone for those, <laughs> who are, yeah, for those listening <laughs> to the, to the uh, garish here, scar listen, on his listen to this scar <laughs> <laughs> um we were shooting the wheelbarrow scene and we um had to m- make haste down this <laughs> down this hill and we had rear wheels which helped guide it a little bit but they were swivel wheels so they don't keep direction well Uh. um and so we had done one take with our with our stuntman chester who's awesome and he slams down and he rolls and we're like ah that's crazy and then we did the second take they were like yeah let's do one more let's do one more and of course chester's like he's like let's do it a thousand times (laughs) like chester calm down buddy (laughs) but we do it again and as we go, you know, I've got this long cape on, I've got my sword, I've got this wheelbarrow, and on, 
on the way, as soon as the wheelbarrow starts tipping, I trip over my sword and then over my cape. So I know if I don't dip to the right, I'm going to eat straight into the wheelbarrow. So I go to the right and I try to steady myself, but I know I'm not going to be able to. So I just tuck and roll and I just went for it. And I popped up and I was like, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. And then I looked at my hand and I had just completely busted it open on the Ugh. grip of my sword. Well, what it, a got sentence it, all. It, it made the picture. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> that's the take, that's to a take that we take. used. And you can actually, when you watch this, and you, you can, can see, see that it, it, it actually goes out of control. Okay. <laughs> well, you see Clodwig just go flying. In, in you the see background. me dip out of frame. <laughs> I'm only laughing because you're okay. It's, it was it was hilarious. He's never been the same since. <laughs> I've seen things. <laughs> Let's listen to a clip. Niggle tick tick nibble. What did you say? Niggle tick tick nibble. Is that Norwegian? Flemish. It is Jabber speak. I know of only one witch who can command that spell. How's my hair? Did you see where she went? Speak plainly, fool. We know you know. Hey, back off. We need answers. We don't need to be charged about it, okay? How was the jabber speak um, from the florist written, or was that all improvised? It, it was a mix. So we had we'd given uh, our actor who just did a brilliant job with Perfect. it. Perfect. Shout out Trey. <laughs> yeah, great <laughs> job. We've given Trey um, a few lines that kind of that that showed our intention for the lines, mm-hmm. and then he just went crazy with it, and it was very very funny what he did. Yeah, he's doing some like Steve Carell level yeah. stuff from Bruce <laughs> Almighty. I was surprised. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so good. <laughs> There is a moment when you're doing the breathing and Sloane is reacting to your breath. Were you trying to break him in that moment? You can look at almost any scene where stuff is kind of building and Clodwig is watching and my breathing slowly just builds and builds to a <gasps> and to like kind of a growl and I don't know why and I don't notice that I do it but Sloane and I have talked about in a in a future episode um you'll there's a part where I come in behind Sloan and I'm just kind of standing there waiting to know what to do. And as soon as the director said cut, he turns around to me. He's like, why are you growling? Are you okay? And I was like, I don't know. I'm just watching. This is how I watch. I love that. All right. So so, so there's a, a moment that happens right after that where Baldrick, and I feel like this episode is big for understanding Baldrick's heart. We're getting there. There's a great moment of vulnerability for the first time when Hexla is mentioned and he's kind of figuring out who she is and his reaction to cover the vulnerability is to scream how's my hair which is the worst way to cover it because he's clearly so uncomfortable um why now why in this episode did you start to toy with his heart (laughs) sure well this episode is about vulnerability Mm. it's about hexala's vulnerability when she i I mean we've joked about it but hexala running into baldrick in the state that she's in looking so old and awful would be like, like running into your old boyfriend at the grocery store with no makeup when you're buying tampons. The worst thing that could happen to you. Like, Oh my gosh, this is not happening to me. That's Hexla when she runs into Baldrick. So we, we had to kind of balance that with Baldrick. How is he feeling about running into her? And he's this floppy guy. He's put on some weight. So immediately he's like, wait, wait, 
I only know one witch who can do that. And you see the little wheels turning, like, if it's really her, if it's really her, how's my hair? <laughs> <laughs> That's not all he can think of is what's she going to think when she sees me? It's fantastic. And, and, and that's really what we do do when we're insecure. We immediately go to, like, how do I look? And what are they thinking? What are people thinking of me? So it felt like a very honest reaction that we can all relate to running into an old flame. And then when, when we get to see Hexala's version of it and the two of them have no way to express their attraction. Oh, yeah, we're going to get to that. <laughs> we're going to get to that. Um, though when, so when we get to see Hexala in the cave, finally, it's really like she's doing a ballet. From the moment with the rose mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. how much of that did you choreograph in advance? How much did you go with it in the moment? Tell me about that. You're right. There was a choreography that needed to happen in that scene. And I remembered, besides being in that huge cloak and sweating, literally losing a whole dress size because of how much water (laughs) weight I was losing. I I don't think the rose was scripted. I think maybe it was there and I picked it up and I wanted to smell it. And then it was about getting the axe and then it was about putting the stuff in the potion. Mm -hmm. So yeah, a lot of it felt like, and then of course, at the end when I'm doing my transformation, (laughs) they did not stop me from exercising whatever demon. Was yeah. it clearly inside it was too my much body? Fun. How it was we, crazy. We were having the time of our lives watching it. I will say one of the best things about working on this show is no one stops you. <laughs> no, I know. No it one was fantastic. ever stops you. When Clodwig and Dwight are manipulating Baldrick's arms, is that was that a direct reference to the Princess, princess bride? bride? Well, if if the question is, are we inspired by the Princess Bride on every page, <laughs> yes. in every frame? I'll I, st- I mean, I'll stop asking. Well, I, I know, seen the no, show. It's it's, it's it's. I mean, a hundred percent. And and especially for me personally, William Goldman is is my hero, and really the the reason I wanted to become a writer. I, I mean, I love everything he's ever done, and and Princess Bride, the book, and even better, the movie, mm. or vice versa. Right. I mean, they're <laughs> so good. So and and yes, we were. I think consciously and subconsciously paying homage to that moment uh, with the, the dread pirate robbers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. exactly. So, with the big cloak yeah, and everything. Yeah. Sure, Absolutely. Sure. But what's funny about the the arms, us running Baldrick's arms, yes. is that Sloan and I, because we're under the cape, could not see what the other was doing. <laughs> And what's so funny is how much of the time we were, we had the same idea and we were doing the same thing. So she'd say something about his weight and we'd slap Joel's belly. (laughs) (laughs) And Joel was just sitting there going, these kids. (laughs) And before we even shot one frame of this, uh, we spoke a lot with, uh, with Andra, uh, Andra Duke, uh, who's the head of content at BYU and everybody's, everybody's boss here. (laughs) Thank you, Andra. Hi, Andra. We love you. (laughs) And she, you know, she and Leanne and I talked a lot about how we were all inspired by the Princess Bride and how if if we did our jobs really well there would be you know little nods and people would get the little nods to the Princess Bride because I feel like it's just one of the seminal movies you know of my life Truly. for sure Same. agreed absolutely <laughs> so and then we have the most unexpected moment in the show yet Hexla turns Clodwig into a stool <laughs> and it just comes out of nowhere. So I have a couple questions about this, but my main thing is, did you choose a stool and then realize that it was perfect because characters were paralyzed and we're going to have to use the stool or, or did you pick a stool because they would have to use the stool? Okay. So Clodwig the stool is one of my favorite parts of this show. Um, and, and we knew we wanted to turn Clodwig into something for a few reasons. Uh, first of all, it's just hilarious to see Clodwig turned into something. But also we wanted to show 
an example of Hexala's real power. I mean, we saw her do the jabber speak. We saw with the with the flowers, but she has to kind of escalate things a little bit here. We have to be afraid of her. And so turning Claudwig into a stool or, or into anything escalates it. It helps us to realize she's a force to be reckoned with. But we settled on the stool because <laughs> we, we wanted him to turn into something that would be familiar to a medieval person. You know, a stool is this very commonplace thing, but also where he could stay active in the scene. We didn't want to just turn him <laughs> into a broom and put him in the corner. Right. Um, we wanted to turn him into something that then he could remain a character in the scene. Mm. And so that's where we hit on the idea of him being a stool because then, as you say, people are going to keep sitting on him and we loved the runner where Dwight's like, can we keep our butts off of Cladwig? (laughs) (laughs) Dwight is also a human rights activist. (laughs) A stool rights rights activist. activist. That's right. So this also gives us a chance to talk a little bit about Hexala's magic. All of Hexala's magic is, um, involves ingredients. She doesn't snap her fingers. She doesn't wrinkle her nose she doesn't wink she, do, she, she doesn't uses, have a scepter or a staff no. or a wand it's 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 all ingredient she's a master of magic arts. yeah true so mage she, that's so right she she will she's concocting her brew uh, she throws powders at people she throws dust at people she throws ashes at people and the fact that she's taken something and put it in her hand changes it to a magical thing and now she can throw it and and cause magic to happen so you'll you won't see hexala ever uh, just snap her fingers and make magic happen. There will always be some ingredient. Uh, she'll use her own spit in a later episode. Spittle. She she, <laughs> she always has something. And so she has these little little boxes and vials and, and little bags full of these weird colored powders that she's always throwing at people. And it's, it's one of the things that we love about her magic is it's very elemental and feels really grounded uh, instead of just being um, kind of ruleless, nebulous. Yeah, you're magic. doing like a fantastic job of separating the types of magic per character. Mm-hmm. Baldrick's magic is very different. Yep, it's than, all in the scepter. Yeah. Let's listen to another clip. Exola! I beg your pardon, ancient hag. I mistook you for another. <gasps> and yet there is something familiar. Are you perhaps the great, great, great grandmother of a witch named Hexala? Are you perhaps the fat, fat, obesely fat twin brother of a second-rate magician named Baldry? Ah, Hexala. (laughs) The years have been unkind to you. And the porridge has been unkind to you. <laughs> Hexla and Baldrick are constantly throwing insults at each other. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's the only way they can express their attraction it's to each other. It's our love language. Yes, why, why is <laughs> that's that? That's the book that we wrote. Um, well, uh, you know, it's it's why does the little boy push you down in, you know, at the playground? Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's a little bit of that chase um, there are things that I cannot say about our past, which I think will continue to be revealed. And actually, quite frankly, things I don't know that live inside the brains of these two brilliant individuals. We're, we're learning stuff right now. Right we do, now, in this I'm moment, learning. we're like, oh, cool. Thanks for letting us know. That's why we're doing this podcast. We're not airing this. This is just for us to get Wait, information. I'm going to be so much better in the next 20. I swear <laughs> I'm going to know what I'm doing. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's Morticia, Adam. It's 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 
it's it's uh, Gomez and Morticia Adams at their finest, right? I mean, it's always a little push, a little pull, a little this, a little that, a little. Of, it, it reminds me of, I mean, it's Taming of the Shrew. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. also like Moonlighting. I think of like Bruce Willis and Simple Shepherd. It's like love to hate, hate to love, love. They can't live without each other. And but yeah. it, well, and I have to say, in the first scene that that you and Joel did together uh, as Hexala and, and Baldrick, that first time we always knew that that was going to be a great relationship. But as we saw you guys bring that relationship together uh, to life, it was just unbelievable, and, and that really emboldened us to have more fun with it. So I think it's sort of been a, a virtuous cycle of what you guys, what we wrote, but then where you guys took it, and then we are emboldened to do more. So I, it's been really fun to watch you guys bring it to life. By the time Baldrick stumbles back into the cave with the princess's teeth, everybody's all over the place. There's like this standoff happening with the cleaver and Dwight about to spit and Claude wigs a stool and Greta can like only partially move. Things have, and, things and, have gone bad. And, and, and Baldrick comes in like a toddler, yeah. you know, like losing his, his, his balance, stumbling forward into the cart. What was it like blocking that sequence? It, it, it was about as insane as you would imagine, yeah. and and honestly, I was I was worried. I got to give our director James Larkin a, a lot of credit. He he did, he, he did an incredible job with yeah. this, and in that scene, and then and then you know, later, there, it gets hairy, and and cleavers are being swung, and stools are going flying, and and there were no stunt doubles in there. These were you know our our real actors, and I was really scary a couple of times. Like someone's gonna get an eye poked out. I'm gonna go to jail <laughs> or, or decapitate. Yeah, I thought I was going to kill Salone Siegel. I was like, do not just whatever you do, don't kill this young yeah. boy. He's got a great future ahead of him. He's a fine actor. He would comfort you afterwards. Yeah. Would, yeah. Know, His okay. head would be off and he'd be like, Oh, it's okay. No, totally. This is like, you know, I'm all right with, I'm all right with this. <laughs> So so it took a lot of work to block it, that. It, whole it did, and, and we actually we spent a, a, the better part of a day, you know, mm-hmm. blocking that. And you know, they all did it, you know, in in, you know, in slow speed at first. But even as, I was sitting there watching it in Video Village, and I was like, yeah, this could go bad so quick. Well, yeah. I should say about James Larkin, uh, he comes uh, from an acting background himself. He's uh, he's from London. Mm-hmm. He's a Royal Shakespeare Company. Mm-hmm. He comes from a stage background, mm-hmm. and you can see that in his episodes, especially we feel very comfortable giving him the episodes that have these big ensemble scenes because he understands how to block like a play almost um, to keep everybody involved in the scene and moving and also I I really love to watch him work with with our actors because He's he's a really calm presence on set, and he will take the time to rehearse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and he'll just tell everyone we're not ready. We need a little more time to rehearse. And on this scene, especially as much as it stressed out those of us who were aware of the passing of the time, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it, at the end we were like, the, on this scene we have to take the time to rehearse it. And and he had the confidence to just stop everything to give give the actors time to rehearse it and to be comfortable with it. And so it, it really. Um, it, it, James was the right one for this episode. So so after this, we get to the heart of the episode. And this is always, every time it ends up being my favorite part. And every episode up till this, only three episodes, but each of the three episodes up until this, those heartfelt moments are between Dwight and Greta. And for the first time, mm-hmm. it's between the adults. Mm-hmm. Um, did this, Was this a purposeful choice? Did this come about because Baldrick finally had another adult to talk to? Sure, yeah. This is the first time that 
that Baldrick is running into an old friend in this new world. And so they have something to connect over. But really, if you look at this episode, it's a story about a witch who's trying to get her youth and beauty back and runs into her old boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) Without her hair done. (laughs) And so, uh, and he's feeling just as uncomfortable. It's a a little love story between the two of them that needed some resolution at the end. And after all the insult hurling, which we see is just because they were so mortified that they'd run into each other in such a state. Once that's all passed, they can have actually a real moment because they deep down do care about each other and they are friends from a a, a long time ago. And I think we're all old enough. Maybe Evan isn't, (laughs) but we're all old enough to, to know the, the joy of an old friend. Yeah. Especially someone you've been vulnerable with in the past who you can be really honest with. And that, that is the really interesting thing about that conversation. It's not about their, romantic love for each other it's really Hexla pointing out it's hey changed. you've changed you care about this girl mm-hmm. and he is just unable to say it mm-hmm. i mean he, even oh, yeah. in in peanut there's a chance and dwight <laughs> goes do you guys ever hug and they just kind of ignore <laughs> it so that i feel like we're we're also growing uh baldrick's ability to express sure. himself vulnerability. yeah his vulnerability absolutely um how does Clodwig feel about being a stool? <laughs> what was that experience like for him? Is he going to have post-traumatic stool disorder? What's... Uh, oh. Well, as soon as I found out, I was not written out of the show. I was. <laughs> it was a lot more calming than I think it would have been. <laughs> no, it's, you know, there were... There were some uh, some funny pitches for uh, turning back into a human boy. If, if, if I could, if I could interject here, the, our original idea was to have Clodwig come back wearing nothing but the sign, uh. just strategically placed. It says, "Not a stool, do not sit." And actually, up for everybody until, at home, all the women in the room are fanning themselves. Yeah, that, right. <laughs> not, not a that joke. was on cue, not and we were joke. not playing that. <laughs> So he was supposed to be stark naked, wearing only that sign strategically placed. Up until the day of shooting, we had actually gotten approval from the people at the network, even though it's a family show. Yeah. Like, hey, he'll be uh, modest enough. And, and the day of shooting, we got the word that someone even higher up said, uh, no, he's going to not he's not be naked. I, I think everyone's heart was a little broken. <laughs> I've been doing push-ups. <laughs> really. So we get to the end of the episode, and I know we mentioned it before, but uh, Hexel has conquered the escalator. Yes. And she has the shoes she wanted. So it's a full <laughs> success. And then yeah. she gets a place to stay. And I, and I was talking about it jokingly before, but mm. it really is the first villain who plants a flag and picks a spot and she's, and she's there. And it really feels like she's now part of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like for you reading the script, seeing that moment? How did that feel for you? It was exciting. Like, job security is great. Like, I'll tell you that right now. What? Okay. Um, so that was exciting. But yeah, I mean, she's, you know, everybody loves a, a well-written villain and well-executed because they say the things you want to say, but you just don't have the gumption to do so. And I think that's what's exciting about Hexla. And little by little, you start to see her heart. I mean, in everything that she does. She's self-serving, yes, because she knows what she wants. But especially in that moment with uh with Baldrick, I think, you know, obviously their defenses are up. That's why they're jabbing because there's the insecurities there. But at the end there, when she looks at him and says, you've changed, I think that there's something that opens up in her. And I wonder if even that's the moment that she decides, hmm, 
I may stick around and kind of see what's going on here because I mean she can go and do whatever she wants. I mean I don't know time travel. I mean like let's shape shifting. I mean I don't know what's about to happen. But but it, but she does. I mean she's crafty, so she can get away with what she wants. But but yeah, coming down that elevator with the red lipstick and the shoes and opening up my own store, lotions and potions, is very exciting for uh, for the future. Yes, so we'll look forward to that future. So that wraps us up for season one, episode four of Dwight and Shining Armor: The Sunken Kingdom, the behind the scenes podcast about everything Dwight. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, Danielle. And as always, thank you, Brian and Leanne. Yay! Yay, Brian! Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having us. Awesome. You can follow on Instagram, BAFTA-nominated Daniel Pasuti at Daniel Pasuti. You can follow Evan Hofer at Evan Hofer. You can follow Brian Adams at Brian underscore J underscore Adams. And you can follow me at the Josh Breslow. And if you have any questions that are as yet unanswered about lotions and potions, please tweet your questions or send video questions to at Dwight in Armor, and we'll tackle them a little bit down the line. Tune in next week for Season 1, Episode 5, Shackled. I'm Josh Breslow. Thanks for listening. Go on an adventure today. It might change your life. <laughs>